During the sixth century, Pope Gregory created a list of seven deadly sins and included gluttony. Does that surprise you? What makes excessive eating and drinking so deadly? The Bible warns about those who walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. The excessive feeding of their flesh is a kind of idolatry. Nothing it craves, they deny. If gluttony is first and foremost about eating excessive amounts of food and can lead to idolatry, then the best way to defeat this deadly sin is to practice fasting, which is the abstinence of food for a period of time and for a spiritual purpose. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. Self-indulgence is the enemy of self-denial. Those aren't my words. They're the words of Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Hello, I'm Brian Davis, and this is Something Good. While the world preaches self-improvement and self-indulgence, Jesus taught self-denial and self-restraint. Today, Ron serves up a few keys to conquering the deadly sin of gluttony as he continues his teaching series, Undefeated, Overcoming the Deadly Sins That Drag You Down. Stay right here or visit somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to Ron's messages on demand, on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Here's Ron with part two of his message, Defeating Gluttony. In other words, what Jesus was saying to them is, as long as our heavenly bridegroom is with us and Jesus is our heavenly bridegroom, then it's a time for feasting and not a time for fasting. You go forward in the life of Jesus and uh, we know he went to the cross, he was buried in the ground, he rose from the grave, he ascended to the Father, he promised he would return. Now our heavenly bridegroom is not with us anymore. All right, when he was with us on this earth and with his disciples, that was a time for feasting, not for fasting. Now that he is away from us, it's a time for fasting, not for feasting. It's interesting the wedding analogy that Jesus uses here because it's similar to the one you find in John chapter 14. In the upper room discourse on the night before he was crucified, Jesus said words like this, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And we've heard those words, and they're comforting words, but do you know that he's, he's using wedding language here? Because uh, in that culture 2,000 years ago, when uh, two young lovebirds got engaged or uh, betrothed in marriage, the betrothal period would last for up to a year, and during that time, the groom would go back to his father's house, literally. He'd go back there, and he'd start a construction project. He'd build on extra rooms and extra wings because one day he was going to come back, get his bride, marry her, and then take her back to their father's house, and that's where they would live. And so Jesus is using that analogy on the night before he was crucified. He says, guys, I'm leaving, but I'm the heavenly groom. I'm going back to my father's house, 
but I'm coming back to get you. You are the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And I'll take you back to my father's house where there are many rooms. Right now, Jesus is building a room for believers in Jesus Christ to one day be in the Father's house. Well, he uses that same analogy to say, while I'm here, this is a time for, for feasting. But while I'm gone, it's a time uh, for fasting. What's the point of this eschatological lesson? And what does it have to do with gluttony? Uh, my point is simply this, that the regular eating habits of... Uh, believers in Jesus should fall somewhere between feasting and fasting, uh, with a greater emphasis on fasting because we're waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. But the reality is if you look at the eating habits of most Americans and most church-going Americans, they tend toward the feasting and rarely, if ever, the fasting. Uh, you go to restaurants today, and the portions are feasting-sized portions. Catherine and I go out to dinner, and here's usually her first question. Do you want to split this? <laughs> and I'm usually more hungry than she is, so we go on to something else, or she's chosen something on the menu that I don't want to eat. But, you know, it's a legitimate question because we know at this particular restaurant the portions are so big. So she'll order hers plus get a to-go box. I'll order mine, get a to-go box, and we got lunch for tomorrow. We were in Europe now about a year ago, and we noticed in the restaurants the portions were smaller. We also noticed that the Europeans were thinner, and I think there was a connection between the two. Again, not to shame anybody, but we, we know that in America we have an obesity problem because our regular eating habits and our eating out habits are more on the feasting end of things than the fasting end of things. And I'm just saying, from a health standpoint, it needs to be somewhere in the middle. Is there time for celebratory eating that is feasting? Are there times like that in our lives? Absolutely. Weddings and other occasions where we feast, but not as a regular daily way to eat, but our culture has even drawn us as believers in Jesus Christ into this, this feasting culture. And as believers who are waiting for the soon return of our heavenly groom, we need to place an emphasis on fasting. Now is the time for fasting, not for dietary reasons that the diet world has figured out. That's all fine, and there may be physiological benefits and weight loss benefits in that, but we do it for spiritual purposes and as a way to defeat gluttony. You work those seasons of fasting into your spiritual life. Are you still with me? I'm sure I have already um, blown to pieces your Sunday lunch plans, right? <laughs> You're saying, we got to do something else besides go to lunch after church today. Hey, there's a second reason or a second way, I should say, that we can defeat gluttony. First, practice fasting. Secondly, closely related, practice self-denial. And here's how I want to set this one up. Gluttony is the enemy of discipleship. And here's what I mean by that. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, Jesus said this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. How dare Jesus drop a little thing like self-denial into this uh, discussion about what it means to be one of his disciples. I mean, we live in a self-indulgent culture. 
Everything about us is about indulging ourselves, never putting a restraint on any appetite we might have, whether it's a physical appetite or a sexual appetite or an appetite for anything. We live in a very self-indulgent culture and a culture that will applaud, applaud your self-indulgence. And Jesus comes along and he says, if you want to be one of my disciples, <laughs> deny yourself, deny yourself, deny yourself. Put some restraints in your life. In fact, um, self-indulgence cannot coexist with self-denial. Gluttony and the self-indulgence that comes with it is the enemy of discipleship. It's just that simple. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, he says, you cannot serve God and money. He didn't give us that choice. Likewise, he would say, you can't follow me and follow your belly at the same time. You're going to have to, you have to practice and, and learn self-indulgence. Still ahead, the second half of today's message with Dr. Ron Jones. So don't go away. Remember this website, somethinggoodradio.org. That's the place to go to hear any of Ron's messages on demand. When you stop by, check out our digital library where you can search for answers to some of life's most challenging questions. Answers Ron has put together during his more than 30 years of teaching the Word of God. You can also stream on demand absolutely free at somethinggoodradio.org. So let me ask you, do you have a passion to pray? Would you like to learn to pray with zeal from someone who mastered the art of divine communication? The disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gave them a model for prayer that even a child can learn. In time for Christmas, Dr. Ron Jones is ready to share his brand new book, The Jesus Way to Pray, an intimate journey through the Lord's Prayer. Join Ron as he guides you phrase by phrase through the power and beauty of the prayer that begins, Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be your name. You'll also find an entire chapter that explains how Jesus prays for you and me, as well as biblical answers to the age-old question, does God answer prayer? That's the Jesus way to pray, an intimate journey through the Lord's Prayer. Pre-order your copy of Ron's new book for a donation of $25 or more. Share it with friends this Christmas by requesting a two-pack for $50, a four-pack for $75, or an eight-pack of The Jesus Way to Pray for a donation of $150 or more. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099 or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. Now, let's get back to Ron for the rest of today's Something Good radio message, Defeating Gluttony. But I want you to consider this. Let's step outside the world of the Bible for a moment. The Food Mix Marketing Communications firm came up with some recent research that suggests that even healthy-minded Americans are having a problem with self-indulgence. New research reveals even America's healthiest eaters cave into indulgences based on their emotional status. Listen to this. 40% of U.S. food brand lovers who rated their daily diet as extremely healthy agreed with the statement, when I'm feeling down, I eat something indulgent to make me feel better. 
Food indulgence has become a form of self-care, says the market research firm. Instead of hitting the gym after a bad day, many of these normally super healthy eaters are hitting the refrigerator or nearest restaurant for an indulgent treat. How interesting that even the secular world has seen how self-indulgent we have become and how hard, even when we make a commitment to healthy eating, how hard it is for emotional reasons to give restraint to our our appetites. Um, Self-care, you know, my comfort food, people refer to it as. Uh, Deeply embedded maybe in some fears and insecurities and well, I've had a hard day, so I guess I'll go indulge myself, you know? And, th- and this is the, the endless cycle that we get into. But the follower of Jesus Christ learns self-restraint, not through the power of self-help, no, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control, right? And this, this whole series, just as a reminder, is not about pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and trying harder. Maybe you've figured out after pride, anger, lust, laziness, now gluttony, <laughs> you're in a world of trouble. And the try harder just doesn't work. That's why you need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You need Jesus Christ in your life who has made you an overcomer. So let's review. We practice fasting. We practice self-denial. How about a third one? And we'll finish there. And I'm just going to borrow some uh, words from an old Greek philosopher named Epicurus and phrase it this way. Eat, drink, and glorify God, for soon Jesus is coming. That's better than eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. No, eat, drink, and glorify God, for soon Jesus is coming. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 where... The Bible says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify your God, glorify God in your body. Uh, now, this is what I call sort of the, the starting point in a biblical theology of the, of the body, of the cynics. Even the Gnostics believed that the body was evil. And they, uh, uh, you know, put the body under all kinds of restraints for all the wrong reasons. The Bible never says that the body is evil. It just says uh, that your body, on the contrary, is sacred. As a believer in Jesus Christ, your body, my body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This was a legitimate Uh, argument for for not smoking, for not doing other things that would damage your body, intentionally damage your body, because this body you've been given is, is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which means that everywhere we travel provides a worship experience for us. Your body is is the sacred dwelling place of the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of you at the moment of salvation. Um, The other thing that this verse tells us as far as a biblical theology of your body is your body doesn't belong to you. (laughs) Now, I know the first thing that most people would say is get your hands off my body. This belongs to me. Don't tell me what to do with my body. You hear it all over our culture today. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, that's never appropriate for us to say. 
Paul says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Your body and my body, it's, it's on loan to us from God. By the way, if I loaned you my car or if you loaned me your car, how would we treat it? You would expect me to return your car in at least as good a condition as I received it, if not better. It's always good when you loan somebody a car and, you know, you haven't washed it for two months, but he comes back and says, hey, I ran it through the, the car wash, right? Yeah, we do that when we're borrowing something from somebody else. Well, our body is on loan to us from God. And on the contrary, it's, it's not evil. In fact, um, in eternity, won't, we won't just be disembodied spirits floating around on clouds. In heaven, we will have bodies. Death is when the spirit separates from the body, and more often than not, the body goes into the grave. The spirit, well, the Bible says, for a believer, absent from the body, present with the Lord, or for an unbeliever, absent from the body, present in a place of torment. Those are the two choices. And at death, both disembodied spirits are awaiting a resurrection. We can talk about that all throughout uh, the New Testament. The future resurrection of the dead. Everybody who dies and goes into the ground, a disembodied spirit into eternity, there is a future resurrection of the dead awaiting us. Some will rise to eternal life. Some will rise to eternal death. The second death, eternal separation from God in, in a place called hell. But on that day of resurrection, the spirit will be reunited with the body. The body will come up out of the grave. And for believers in Jesus Christ, we will now have a glorified body, the Bible says. <laughs> That's when your, uh, uh, your six-pack is in view behind that cooler that you have right now, right? It's a glorified body. It's a body like Jesus had when he came out of the grave, a resurrection body with capacities like we can't even begin to imagine. What I'm simply saying is there's a future for that body of yours and mine. It's on loan to us from God. We will be bodies and spirits in heaven with work to do and places to travel and all of that. Paul just says in light of all of this, that you are not your own and your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, glorify God in your body. Make sure that what you're doing with your body honors him first. And it starts with that fork in that piece of whatever before you bring it to your, you know, it, I don't want to get overly crazy about all of this, but it starts with what we eat, what we put inside of our bodies. Eat healthy. Treat your body healthy. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31, Paul says it this way. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, he broadens it to whatever, um, do it all to the glory of God. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. No, not if you're a follower of Jesus. Eat, drink, and glorify God for soon Jesus is coming, right? Our heavenly bridegroom is returning, and uh, we want to be a bride that is waiting for him and is ready for him, a bride that has lived an undefeated life, one that overcomes the deadly sins that drag us down, including this one called gluttony, uh, evidence of an excessive, self-indulgent kind of life that never learns to put the brakes on, the restraints in place,
certainly before we cross over into that dangerous place where our, our belly, our stomach, our appetites, our desires become our God because they have first place in our life and secondary to anything that God would instruct us with about our bodies and about how we live our lives. Amen or oh me? Have I completely ruined your lunch plans, your dinner plans? Eat and drink, that's part of life. But let's do it to the glory of God. Let's go on our way to a 7-0 and season where uh, we've lived an undefeated life in an undefeated season against pride, anger, lust, laziness, gluttony. We got two more, envy and greed. These are tough ones, aren't they? But again, this is not about pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's not about doing it the Avis rental car way, just try harder. Uh, that's the way you get frustrated in the Christian life. We need the enabling resources of the Holy Spirit to walk by the Spirit and live by the Spirit. And that's how, how victory in Jesus comes to people like you and me. Thanks so much for being with us for today's Something Good radio message, Defeating Gluttony. And I'm pleased to welcome in Dr. Ron Jones. Ron, so far we've covered five of the seven deadly sins, pride, anger, lust, laziness, and today's subject, gluttony. In looking over the list of these sins and comparing them one to another, is there anything that stands out in your mind? That's a great question, Brian, and yes, here's what stands out to me. Gluttony is the first deadly sin we've seen that involves something going into the body. It seems to place focus on an action, not an attitude. In fact, when you throw in envy and greed, the, the final two deadly sins that we'll cover over the next few days, gluttony is the only one of them in which the action is mentioned as opposed to an attitude. But don't let that fool you. Remember, I said it seems to place all the emphasis on an action, on what goes into the body. But even the sin of gluttony, and Brian, for the record, gluttony uh, involves excessive eating, excessive drinking, or both at the same time. But even the sin of gluttony begins in the heart. It was Jesus who said, it is not what goes into a man that defiles him, but rather what comes out of his mouth that defiles him. That's Matthew 15 and verse 11. And in Luke 6, and verse 45, Jesus says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So put those two verses together, and we see that it is the human heart that defiles us. That's where all sin begins. Now, with that in mind, let's remember that the predominant attitude of those given to gluttony is rebellion and self-indulgence. That is why the sin of gluttony is so deadly. Not necessarily because of what goes into our mouths, but because of what it says about the content of our hearts. All sin begins in the heart, and gluttony is no different. And that's why our prescription for victory in this area is to learn to practice self-restraint by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some great final thoughts from today's message, Defeating Gluttony. Well, Rod, it seems the clock is always moving a little faster than we want it to. So as we wrap things up, tell us what's in store tomorrow as you continue your current series on the seven deadly sins. 
Well, Brian, next up is number six on the list, and that brings us to envy. Uh, Listen to what James writes in chapter four and verse one of his New Testament letter, and I'm paraphrasing here. What is the source of quarreling and conflicts among you? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. Now watch this one, Brian. You are envious and do not obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You know, when you look out at what's uh, going on in this world today, and specifically on the streets of the United States of America, it's pretty easy to see that we have an envy problem. Now, we have other problems too, and we need to find a way to deal with those in a way that glorifies God. But a lot of what we see going on is due to envy. It's due to being jealous of what someone else has and, and, and desiring it for yourself. This is the kind of deadly sin that can wreak havoc in the church as well as the world at large. Uh, The good news is there is a way to overcome it. And that's where we're headed next time in our current series, Undefeated, Overcoming the Deadly Sins That Drag You Down. Join us then for Something Good when Ron shares his message, Defeating Envy. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.